Hey, thanks for checking out the weekly podcast from Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. We hope you found this episode to be challenging and encouraging. Now, let's turn our attention to this week's sermon from Pastor Brian Carroll. You may have never heard the name Daryl Davis. He's a Grammy award-winning blues musician who was featured in a documentary called Accidental Courtesy. You see, when Davis isn't playing the blues, he's doing something that that may seem quite shocking, particularly for a black man. He has spent the last 30 years traveling around the country befriending members of the Ku Klux Klan. Davis, pictured here from an article in Christianity Today, is shaking hands with with a Klansman. Uh, the 58-year-old blues musician thinks that when Klansmen actually sit down and talk with a black man, they will find that their hatred is actually misplaced. And believe it or not, he's usually right. Since Daryl started this interesting outreach, over 200 KKK members have told the musician that they had seen the error of their ways and they were hanging up their hoods for good. Daryl told one news source, I I never set out to convert anyone in the Klan. I just set out to get an answer to my question. How can you hate me when you don't even know me? Davis goes to Klan rallies. He's invited Klansmen to his home, visited them. He calls some of them friend, even though they see him as an inferior. Once, Davis actually met the daughters of an incarcerated Klansman at the airport and drove them to prison so that they could visit their father in jail. Eventually, the father or the family noticed that none of the man's colleagues from the Klan were serving or loving them as much as Davis was. And so their ideology of hate actually collapsed in the face of such undeserved compassion, undeserved mercy. It just so happens that Daryl's a Christian who apparently understands something of the fifth beatitude. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. I don't care for the mean-spirited nature of our current age. If you've paid attention, you've noticed that, that it just feels that things are meaner than they once were. People are meaner than they used to be. The facade of kindness has drifted away in the era of social media insults and social media attacks. I especially don't like how that mean-spirited nature in many ways has crept into the hearts of professing Christians. Men like Daryl serve as an example to the rest of us that a little bit of kindness really goes a long way. We've been working through this list called the Beatitudes, a a small but pivotal teaching in the larger sermon known as the Sermon on the Mount. And we're working to paint a picture of the qualities that make make a, a good citizen of the kingdom of God. And the Beatitudes lay the groundwork for what we will encounter through the rest of Jesus' teaching. So this morning I'd like to recap what we've already gone through as we dig into the blessings of mercy. We'll be in Matthew chapter 5 today. Please stand as we share God's word together, reading this first set of Beatitudes. 
Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. In today's verse, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. God, I want to thank you for your word, for the profound teaching of the Beatitudes. God, I pray that we might be a merciful people in an unmerciful age. Teach us the blessing of mercy and the kindness that goes with it. And God, in turn, show us the mercy that we certainly don't deserve. Bless this time in your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. As we have seen over the course of these last few weeks, these statements all build upon one another. They progress from one to the next. And as in that progression, we see the, the development of, of clarity uh, to the expectations of what our behavior as men and women who follow the Lord actually needs to look like. Remember, poverty of spirit is the intellectual acknowledgement of our bankrupt spiritual condition. Mourning is our emotional response to that intellectual component. As a consequence of us being poor in spirit and mourning our sins, we then find ourselves as trying to be meek because meekness is our relational response. It's, it's how we treat both God and man with an attitude of meekness. And last week, as a result of all of this, we find that, that we need to bring our lives into alignment with God's will, the perfect will of our Creator. And in doing so, we find that we are hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Following that, though, we understand come the blessings of mercy, the consequences of hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. First, it's important for us to define the term properly so that we can understand the role of mercy in our lives. What exactly is mercy? As I shared with the, the children during our kids' time, perhaps it's showing kindness to the man who's on the street corner with a sign, will work for food. It's, it's giving something to eat or something to drink to someone who, who lacks it. Sometimes people often conflate the definitions of mercy and grace using them interchangeably, but there really is a difference between the two. D.A. Carson said that grace is a loving response when love is undeserved, and mercy is a loving response prompted by the misery and helplessness of the one on whom the love is showered. He goes on to say, grace answers to the undeserving but mercy answers to the miserable. If you're a Christian, understand that you have received both grace and mercy from God. We received grace in the sense that we were rebels by nature and choice, sinful in our, in our very being. We've done nothing to earn the love that God has showed upon us. We're saved by grace through faith. It's not any work that we have done. God showed us grace by loving us in spite of our, our spiritual condition. 
At the same time, we've received mercy from on high. If you recall how God describes the church, particularly in uh, Laodice- uh, the church of Laodicea over in Revelation chapter 3. Everybody remembers the church at Laodicea. They say, oh, that's the, that's the lukewarm church. And, and that's, the, that's the part that preachers key in on. But there's, a, there's another description that goes along with that church that, that really truly describes all of us outside of Christ. There Jesus said this, For you say, I'm rich, I've prospered, I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. You hear that description, and what a, what a terrifying description of, of our condition. And it's not a description of the church's physical condition. That's not what the, the church in Laodicea is, is, is. That's not what it's describing. It's describing that, that spiritual condition that we all share. You see, when someone is wretched and pitiable, poor and blind and naked, when they receive kindness, that's called mercy. And God has shown us kindness in the sense that we were wretched in our spiritual condition. So here in the Beatitudes, we're being challenged to show mercy. There have been times in history where that distinction may not have mattered all that much. Grace and mercy, it's okay to use them interchangeably, but I I believe that we are in a particular season of life where understanding the difference needs to matter. I, I believe we are living in a particular season where we as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in particular need to understand something of showing mercy. Why? Because I fear that we have allowed the politics of our age to invade our hearts. I fear that that we've started viewing those who think differently than we do as our opponents and as our enemies rather than human beings who need to know the kindness of the Lord, who need to know the hope of the gospel. The fact of the matter is, is that anyone who stands opposed to the will of God is somebody who desperately needs to know the hope of the gospel. They desperately need to be shown mercy. I fear that there is a hardening of hearts that is going on then we need to fall on our faces before the Lord. And remember where we came from. You see, I think we need to understand that the unmerciful man has forgotten where he came from. Over in Luke chapter 18, you, you've heard the story. It's a story about two men who were both attempting to tend to their own spiritual gardens. They were there in the temple. You had a, a Pharisee and a, a tax collector. The Pharisee, always the, 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 the enemy of, in Jesus' stories, all they, always the ones who were, who were wrong. They were also happened to be the ones who were the religious folks who had it all figured out, that if you had a, a question that needed to be answered, ask a Pharisee. If you were playing Bible trivia, the Pharisee always won. He was always the one who was in Sunday school on time. He was always the one who volunteered to do everything that needed to be done. He was always in church. He always had his, his facade put together. Yet for some reason, he always came up short in Jesus' story. Here is one in particular. The Pharisee stood up to pray because that's what a Pharisee does. Will someone bless our meal? The Pharisee quickly raises his hand. And he knows all the names of God to throw into the blessing because that's what Pharisees were good at. The Pharisee stood to pray off by himself out loud so everyone could hear. And he said this, God, (laughs) I thank you that I'm not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like that tax collector that's over there praying. Then he goes on in his prayer to boast about his 
spiritual accomplishments. He had quite a resume. The tax collector, he had a little bit of a different perspective. The tax collector understood his heart condition. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And instead of boasting about his self-righteousness, he cried out to God for what? most interesting is not the Pharisee's boastfulness, but rather his willingness to compare himself to the tax collector. There was no mercy shown there. There was just spiritual arrogance that was in place. And it's a spiritual arrogance that we have to very much be on guard against today because we look around in a lost and dying world and we say, look at all the godless. Look at their behaviors. Look at their actions. Look at what they're doing. Thank goodness we're not like the godless people. Lest we be careful that our words sound striking like the words of this Pharisee. It's so true today. Everything is partisan. Everything is us versus them. And there's a lot of factions out there, don't get me wrong, that are out to shut her churches, to silence her voice. And in spite of that, it doesn't mean that we hunker down, close the doors, and pray the secular boogeyman away. What does God say? Show mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And while it's hard to do, it's much easier to show mercy if we remember the mercy that we've been shown. The fact of the matter is, is that mercy ought to flow from mercy. Over in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus tells another parable. He says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees and implored him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. Read showed mercy. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him just a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. They went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. You know, it's interesting, mercy here is also tied to forgiveness. The first servant 
had an unpayable debt. Different people tried to uh, quantify this. How much exactly was, was this amount of money? But, but what really matters is not the dollar signs. What really matters is, is that Jesus is describing here a debt that is too great to be repaid. This is not an economics lesson. It's a parable. So, so we need to be less worried about how he amassed such a debt. We need to be less worried about the economics in the story. What we do need to understand is that the king, this master, forgave the servant his debt. His outstanding, tremendous, unpayable debt, the king forgave it. Showed him mercy. Now, as a consequence of such an action... The story should have gone like this, that the servant, after having his debt re re uh, relieved, he went out to those who owed him, and he forgave those who owed him as a result of the mercy he received. But that's not how the story goes. Instead, he goes to those who owe him, and, and it doesn't show mercy. He, he's not just unmerciful, he's downright harsh over what is just a, just a, a, a fraction, just a, a tiny fraction of the amount that he was to pay. The point is not an economic one, it's a spiritual one. And it flows from the other Beatitudes. We recognize the significance of our spiritual condition. We are bankrupt, unable to pay. And we have been pardoned. We have had mercy shown to us. And as a consequence of the pardon that we have received, as a consequence of our, of our debt being forgiven, we ought to go out from that showing mercy to others. We cannot allow a spiritual, pharisaical arrogance to creep into our hearts. We cannot allow a spiritual support, superiority complex to develop. We cannot allow the mean spirit of our age to find a foothold in our hearts. We have tasted divine mercy. How can we not then go and show mercy to others? The fact is, and we find this to be true from this beatitude, Mercy tests our heart's true condition. The presence or absence of mercy provides a very accurate test for what truly is going on on the inside. You know, we've got all kinds of diagnostic tools to determine heart problems, right? From something as simple as a blood pressure cuff and a stethoscope to complex machines and tests where they stick cameras and tubes and all kinds of things up your veins to diagnose your heart. It is a little more challenging to get, a, you know, to get a pulse on spiritual heart conditions. But the presence or absence of mercy is a good place to start. It's like when you go in and the nurse checks your pulse. Right, that's, that's a basic test. It's nothing extraordinary or extravagant. It's a simple test, really, just to determine if there's a steady heartbeat. If, if there's something going on, more tests are needed, but that's a good place to start. The presence or absence of mercy is a great place for us to start. And it really just comes out of the progression in the Beatitudes. I love how John Stott frames this in his commentary. He says, for to be meek is to acknowledge to others that we are sinners. To be merciful is to have compassion on others, for they are sinners too. Listen to that again. For to be meek is to acknowledge to others that we are sinners. To be merciful is to have compassion on others, for they are sinners too. So mercy is part of the character 
of the citizen of the kingdom of God. And if you find yourself unable to show mercy, you may not really be a citizen of the kingdom of God at all. And that doesn't mean you have to show perfect mercy. Indeed, this side of eternity, our efforts are going to frequently come up flaws. Anybody ever messed up in your attempts to get right? You've messed up in trying to get right? Of course we have. We're flawed. We, we, still have, uh, we still have our flesh with us. We still struggle to get it right 100% of the time. And as much, for example, when we, when we extend forgiveness, how many, would, uh, when we extend forgiveness, would also be able to extend forgetful, uh, forgetfulness as well? I forgive you. I'd love to forget what you did, but we, we can't do that. God's created us with, as, as men and women with memories. And so even though we extend forgiveness, we may, may not be able to forget what's going on. That's a skill that we don't possess. Even the Apostle Paul, the great, mighty, awesome Apostle Paul, his ministry was impacted by the imperfection of human mercy. You say, Paul had struggles? Yeah, Paul had struggles. You, you may know the story of Paul and Barnabas in Acts chapter 15. They had a sharp disagreement. Paul and Barnabas, a missionary team, they were, they were together through thick and thin, but a sharp disagreement came between them over a third person a guy by the name of John Mark. John Mark abandoned them a couple of chapters earlier in Acts chapter 13. In Acts 15, they're trying to figure out what to do with him. And Paul has one opinion, and Barnabas has another opinion, and they come to a position where they can't agree. And the only solution for Paul and Barnabas is to split. I think, wow, that's a, that's a serious conflict. That's how you know the Bible's true. One of the reasons we know the Bible's true, because it records the flaws. If this were written by, by people who were trying to just, uh, you know, make up a story, they wouldn't have included the flaws. But our heroes have flaws, and this was one of them. And you could easily see, maybe you've been through this before, where such an emotional split might indeed have a lifetime of consequences, especially in a heart that lacked mercy. You think, well, I bet Paul carried that with him for the rest of his life. If that's what you say, you'd be wrong. Because in 2 Timothy, Paul's last letter, nearing his death in a Roman prison, Paul actually write, writes these words to Timothy. Get Mark. Well, who's Mark? That's that fellow they were fussing about back in Acts chapter 13 in the beginning of the ministry. Get Mark and bring him with you. Listen to what Paul says. For he is very useful to me in ministry. That's mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. In spite of his human imperfections, Paul was able to eventually show mercy to this young man who had deserted him in a position of need. I want us to get very serious for just a moment. This may be the most serious thing that you've heard in a long time. If you find in your heart today that you have no compassion on the downtrodden, if you aren't moved for the vulnerable and the weak, how does that reflect a heart that has tasted divine mercy? Likewise, if you find yourself consumed by grudges, consumed with bitterness from yesterday, 
and you lack no desire to extend forgiveness to those who have wronged you. How does that bitter spring of animosity flow from a heart that's tasted the precious sweet taste of forgiveness? I'm not suggesting that it's easy or convenient, but necessary. I would argue that hearts that are so hard don't actually reflect hearts that have tasted divine mercy. You see, the Beatitudes function very much like a spiritual scalpel. And this one is performing the most delicate of surgery on our hearts. If you lack mercy, even imperfect mercy, then you may be in serious peril. It doesn't matter if you walked an aisle at Vacation Bible School. It doesn't matter if you got baptized on a Sunday morning. It doesn't matter if you went to church every time the doors were open. I'm convinced that our churches are filled. No, wait. I'm convinced that our church roles are filled with people who walked an aisle, prayed a prayer, took a bath in a white robe, but whose hearts are as dark as can be. It's time for us to stop pretending that's okay. It's time for us to, to not play that game anymore. Jesus said it so profoundly over in Matthew 23, verses 27 through 28. He said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of lawlessness and hypocrisy. On the outside, man, it looks like it's all together. But the inside, it reflects a heart that's never tasted divine mercy. And more than anything in this world today, desperately needs to be saved. In his commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, Kent Hughes shares the following story. Years ago, a small-town merchant had identical twin boys who were inseparable. They were so close that they even dressed alike. It was said that their extraordinary closeness was the reason that they never married. When their father died, they took over the family business. Their relationship was considered a model of creative collaboration. Well, because he was busy, one of the brothers one day neglected to ring up a sale, absentmindedly left a dollar bill on top of the cash register. He went to the front of the store to wait on another customer. Remembering the dollar, he returned to deposit it, only to find that it was gone. He asked his brother if he had seen it, and the brother said he had not. An hour later, he asked his brother again, but, but this time with an obvious note of suspicion. His brother became angry and defensive, and every time they tried to discuss the matter, the conflict grew worse and worse and worse, culminating in vicious charges and countercharges. The outcome was incredible. 
the brothers dissolved their partnership, installed a partition down the middle of the store, and two competing businesses opened up. They operated this way for 20 years. One day, a car with an out-of-state license plate pulled up in front of the stores. A well-dressed man entered one of the brothers' shops, asked him how long the store had been there. Learning that it had been over 20 years, he said, then you are the one with whom I must settle an old score. Some 20 years ago, I was out of work, drifting from place to place, and I happened to get off a boxcar in your town. I had absolutely no money. I had not eaten for three days. And as I was walking down the alley behind your store, I looked in and saw a dollar bill sitting on top of the cash register. Everyone else was in front of the store. I, I'd been raised in a Christian home. I'd never done anything like that before. But that morning, I was so hungry. I gave in to the temptation, slipped through the door, and took that dollar bill. That act has weighed on my conscience ever since. And I finally decided that I would never be at peace until I came back and faced up to that old sin and made amends. Would you now let me replace that money and pay you whatever's appropriate for any damages I may have caused? When the stranger finished his confession, he was amazed to see the old store owner shaking his head in deep sorrow, beginning to weep. Finally, the old man gained control, took the gentleman by the arm, asked him to go to the store next door and tell the owner the same story. The stranger complied, only this time two old men who looked almost identical stood there weeping, sighed, by side. Yeah, I wonder how much in our lives is broken. All because we've been unwilling to show mercy, not to someone who deserves it, but to someone who needs it. I think it's beyond time for us to heed Jesus' words. Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. For some in the room or those listening at home, I would implore you today to search your heart to see if you have a heart of mercy, a heart that's willing to extend forgiveness, maybe even to those that don't deserve it, and compassion to those in need. And let that willingness be a diagnostic of your heart's true condition. And if you find yourself today lacking mercy, maybe it's time to ask the Lord to show you what divine mercy truly looks like. Would you pray with me, please? God, I want to thank you for the promise of Scripture, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. God, may we be a merciful people. May we show mercy to those who are downtrodden, who are afflicted, May we show kindness in a world that's not very kind. 
May we extend forgiveness for old wrongs. Thank you for giving us divine mercy. May we now have the courage to extend mercy to others. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like more information about Chattanooga Valley Baptist, check us out on the web at cvbchurch.org. If you would like to join in person, we worship every Sunday morning at 1045. We're just minutes from downtown Chattanooga. We hope to see you soon.